Welcome to Him for Her Radio, women's hot topics. Ladies, this show is for you. Find clarity, discernment, and discover who you are in Jesus Christ, all while exploring the hot topics of the day. She's an evangelist, founder, and president of Him for Her Ministries, and she's here to tell it like it is. Your host, Suge Burry. What happen if you say what you want to say? Hey, girlfriends. You know, as we're talking over a cup of coffee or at a party, I've heard a lot of you complain about the schools running away with the sex education talk and how you don't have any power, it feels like, to make change in the public schools. A lot of my friends have pulled your kids out and you've put them in private school or you've decided to homeschool yourself. And we've done shows on all of the above. But today, we have got an excellent guest with us today. It's Monica Klein. Monica, thank you for coming on our show. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And friends, today's topic is called Reclaiming Parenthood. Reclaiming Parenthood. And even if you're not a parent, I want you to listen in because there's a family member that this would influence. And not only that, hey, friends, this is impacting generations to come. So if you turn this off, God might say, hey, I had a God appointment for you on this show. And I expected you to listen to it and make an impact and a change. And I do believe strongly that this is one of their show, these shows. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest, Monica. Monica delivers a powerful message to parents, encouraging them to be the leading voice in their children's life regarding marriage, sex, identity, and healthy relationships. The voice of Christian family values, ladies, must be stronger in our children's lives than the voice of the world. Monica offers resources and skills necessary to strengthen family trust, ensuring that parents are their children's greatest advocates? And let me ask you that question. Are you becoming the greatest advocate for your kid, not only in the physician's office and with doctors, but also when it comes to sex education in the schools? Monica's goal is to help parents lead at home, in their community, and through policy, which is utmost importance. The great success and stability of any nation is the health and strength of the family. Again, welcome, Monica. Thank you for having me. So let's just hit it right off. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how did you decide to herald the charge to reclaim parenthood? Wow. Well, that happened, I guess, almost 10 years ago. I founded It Takes a Family. And I did that because of a profound conversion in my life. And, uh, and, and at that point, 10 years ago, I realized that there was an attack on the family and that it was really important to start to strengthen marriage and family to save our children. And so I found it, it takes a family, but that past had a lot to do with me spending over a decade um, teaching comprehensive sex education. So that's the graphic sex education that these parents are trying to fight against. Uh, this is where we're seeing the LGBTQ movement really coming in and not only trying to teach this to children in public schools and, and through social media uh, to change the values, beliefs, and attitudes of our children and to create activists out of our children to really affirm the LGBTQ to, you know, all of it <laughs> population. And, uh, and I spent a decade in that. I was actually trained by the gay community. I was trained by Planned Parenthood. I was trained by the CDC. 
Um, I rose the ranks and was eventually a Title X training manager for the states of Texas and New Mexico. I worked closely with the Office of Population Affairs. Uh, but Shug, through that time, uh, not only did I learn how to do this, and I was really groomed into this kind of sex ed industry, but I lived it out of my life. So I did find myself with an unplanned pregnancy. I almost aborted my son. I, I, that's a story in itself, how I, I chose not to abort him and uh, raised him as a single mom for most, you know, for about nine years. Uh, but really, it was when I became a Christian, when my son was a year old in the year 2000, uh, and when I had that dramatic conversion, all of a sudden, I was I was still working in that industry, which is the sex ed and abortion industry. And I started to see the community completely differently. All of a sudden, I started to realize that these evidence-based interventions that the government is funding were actually destroying families and our children. Uh, into basically, it's really just enabling them in their high-risk behavior. And when I started speaking to the community members, I saw them and their stories completely different. And I know I saw it differently because now the Holy Spirit was inside of me and helping me to see. Uh, and should the truth is, you know, a lot of times as Christians or as conservatives, we look at the other side and we think that they're evil. And then, of course, the things that we see them doing are they, they are evil. They say they look very evil. But we seem to think that they're in, and I think some people do know exactly what they're doing and they are being evil, but majority of those people actually think they're doing the compassionate thing because that is why I went into that field. It was in the nineties. I was right out of college. I knew that HIV had hit, was an epidemic. I saw uh, friends and relatives dying. And I thought that the compassionate thing that I could do was teach people how to prevent the spread of HIV. But next thing I know, I'm entrenched in these government-funded organizations that were really the only answer that was provided and that was the loudest was risk reduction, teaching people graphic sex education and convincing them to use condoms. Uh, and all it really did was keep them in those high-risk behaviors. And so I tell people today, those very same zip codes that the government told me I should go into to provide an intervention to help them and to help reduce uh, the incidence of disease and unplanned pregnancy are the very same zip codes today that continue to have a high incidence for disease and unplanned pregnancy because this approach of risk reduction or comprehensive sex education it doesn't work. So do you feel that it puts pressure on kids? Now they've heard about uh, the sex education. They've heard about the different alternatives and the options. Do you think it gives pressure to kids to have sex? Absolutely. Um, many children have actually admitted that, that once they go through a comprehensive sex education curriculum, um, they feel that the, ex that, you know, the curriculum really sets up the expectation that sex is expected of these children. Um, so if I, you know, host a workshop at your house, Suge, to teach your friends how to bake a cake, what's the outcome of that? All of your friends are going to think, well, it's time to bake a cake. That's what I'm supposed to do. I just learned how to bake a cake. So now I have to bake a cake and use these ingredients to do it. Well, it's the same with sex education. We go into a school and we teach children how to have sex. And we, we teach them about every possible sexual activity and how to reduce your risk in every possible sexual activity. Cause that's exactly what they do. 
then what's the outcome? Well, their outcome is I'm expected to do all these things and to use all those ingredients, you know, all those things that they told me to use, get use condoms, get tested. Um, and so, yes, and a lot of the children do believe that. And as I was doing my outreach, some of those children would share with me some of the things that they weren't comfortable with when it came to sexual activity. And I remember this one time, you know, a little girl shared what she was not comfortable with. And, but her, her, um, her question was to ask me, how do I do it better so that I'm hmm. not uncomfortable with it? And she's, and she's uncomfortable with it. She, yeah. Yeah. And, and how and old so is she? She was only 13 years old and it was a classroom full of 13 year olds and they were oh, all high risk kids. These were all kids. And I say they were high risk kids because it was an alternative school. These children mm-hmm. had been picked out, kicked out of all the other schools. And this was their last chance for an education. They're only 13 boys and girls. And she shared a very honest, you know, question, raised her hand and let me know that there was this activity that she was involved in that she felt uncomfortable with. She didn't use the words uncomfortable. She just described her reaction Mm -hmm. to the activity, Mm -hmm. but it pierced my heart. um, Even though at that time I had not come to Christ, but it pierced my heart because I realized she was asking me to help her do something uh, to change her behavior, not to stop it, but to keep doing it, but maybe have mm-hmm. a better outcome. Because that's so, the culture pressure. That's the pressure is. amongst the kids. And and are you with Planned Parenthood at the time? Um, actually, it was Planned Parenthood who had invited me to go present to those kids. Yes. So, so I, was never, I was never employed by them. Uh, Planned Parenthood, I was working for a gay organization and Planned Parenthood was across the street. And I was sent to them to be mentored on how to share the sex education message with children. So Planned Parenthood did invite me to go into that school. But the, the so neat thing Planned is Planned Parenthoods are mm-hmm. in the public school. Oh, they've been in the public school for years. Now uh, there's laws that say that they should not, but there are in some states and in some districts. Um, but the truth is is that there's always a rogue teacher who thinks they know better. And that's exactly what was happening in the 90s. When I was in that class and in other classes uh, in other districts around Texas is there was a rogue teacher who thought they knew better and they would sneak me in. And so I would teach the kids anyway. So, yeah, it's definitely there. Planned Parenthood is the largest provider of sex education, along with abortion, largest provider of abortion. And they really use sex education as the grooming tool, or let's even say the marketing tool to prepare children to not only dehumanize themselves, but through the act of recreational sex, but then it becomes the next step it's a natural next step for them to dehumanize the preborn child. So as we, as sex educators in, in comprehensive, very graphic sex education are teaching these children, they become desensitized. And that's the whole point. Uh, that's what Planned Parenthood taught me. They said, you need to desensitize these children so that they're comfortable talking about these things and doing these things. Um, and it really, uh, basically, as these children begin to objectify themselves, and obviously it's affecting their emotions, their bodies, now it doesn't seem so out of the ordinary for them to dehumanize the preborn child through abortion. Which and it just actually breaks be- my heart. Yeah, and it becomes an automatic belief. Like it's just no one thinks in that world, no one thinks of abortion any differently other than that's the next natural step after getting pregnant. 
And friends, I really encourage you to listen. We had Abby Johnson on, and then there were none. Find the episode. We'll post it below um, if you're watching on YouTube. And I really want you to listen to both part one and two of that as she goes into the description of what actually happens during an abortion and the lies that Planned Parenthood were putting in um, their clients' ears. Um, You had told us as well, uh, I I had heard you on an interview that um, said parents are a barrier to service. Who said that and why did they say that? So in my many years of working alongside Planned Parenthood, eventually as a Title X training manager, which is family planning, my job was to train family planning clinics of which Planned Parenthood are, you know, they received Title X funds. So I'm training Planned Parenthoods um, all over Texas and New Mexico. And in my trainings, it was very common for, as we're talking about counseling skills and how to um, gain trust with the young girls that are coming into the clinic who are afraid to talk in their minds are afraid to talk to their parents about them being sexually active. Uh, one of the conversations was always to say that parents are a barrier to service. Um, in other words, we use these counseling skills to endear ourselves to these children. The children, we gain their trust, meaning we, the Planned Parenthood Clinic, uh, because parents can't be trusted. And as soon as a parent knows that their child is coming to a Planned Parenthood, then they never see that child again because naturally the parent starts to, they're aware now and they start protecting that child and they're not going to let them go to the clinic and they're not going to let them be sexually active either, most parents. Um, and so even though the grant, the government grant says that we should have parental involvement, Planned Parenthood was very adamant about keeping parents out of the picture. And they do believe parents are a barrier to service. And it's not just Planned Parenthood saying this, this is a Marxist belief to get rid of the private family. And so, and the reason I say that is we can see that in law or in bills that are being proposed today. Um, Suge, in the transgender movement, I've read bills where they say parents are a barrier to the health care of their children. Uh, and we continue to see that. We're seeing that in education. I would challenge any parent to look at any of the programs or mission statements within the school. And they always refer to the parent as uh, partnering with the school, partnering with this program, or sometimes programs don't even talk about the parent at all. Um, And that's why I created It Takes a Family and why I talk about reclaiming parenthood, because we, the parents, no one partners we don't partner with the school. The part the, the school partners with us. We are the final authority over our children. We are Amen. the first educators. We are the authority over our children. And the school, whether we choose private or public, they then are given permission by us to speak into our children's lives. Now, that's kind of the clincher. That's kind of the problem that we're having with public schools because public schools as Christians Public schools are not Christian schools. And if anything, they're anti-Christ. They have voted God out of the public school system. They have voted the word of God out of the public school system. It's very anti-Christ environment. Um, But yet we've handed over our children to public schools to be discipled. Um, And so that's a big part of the problem. And we're seeing, as you have seen in the news, what is happening in these public schools today, not only in sex education, but with any kind of critical theory, critical race theory, critical uh, gender theory. And they're truly changing the attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors of our children away from our family values. 
you know, uh, the, all the people I'm talking to are, are I mean, the, we're all singing to the choir on this deal. We all feel the same way. We all think there needs to be a change. And there's so many people that are unified and vocal on it. And then you don't see anything happen. Why is this? You know, the, well, you know, what we're seeing happen is a lot of parents obviously are starting to recognize what's happening and they're going to school board meetings. Uh, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful to see because I've been doing this for over 10 years and it's been crickets. <laughs> so so it's great to see parents um, fighting the way they are. But we also see that the board members, the, you know, the board of trustees are not making any changes. The schools are not making any changes. And that's because it's coming from the top down. Uh, it's the Department of Education. Uh, we're wondering why there's pornographic books in the schools. It's because the American Library Association has approved this. Um, you can go to Twitter and you'll see that a representative of the American Library Association and a representative of the National Education Association, NEA, together were reading these books that Christian parents are against to children in a library. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and these books have awards. Um, and so all of the organizations that we have trusted, like Goodreads or other organizations that give the stamp of approval on these books, are giving the stamp of approval on books that are promoting, uh, quite honestly, medically incorrect data. So mm-hmm. here we have books teaching children that they can choose their gender or that their gender is fluid. That is medically inaccurate. It's a you know, biological and, untruth. Let me pause on that for a second, because um, when I, we had already had this interview booked and I had one American news on and all of a sudden I see your face on there and you had a great interview and you talked about New York city, our New York education department has a book. And when she says porn, I'm not kidding you. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a book driven toward children reading it. Correct. Can you share a little bit more information on that? On that one particular book? Mm-hmm. Yeah, gender queer. Um, yeah, so what we're finding is that a lot of these books are are graphic novels, meaning they look like a comic book. So they're illustrated, um, and they're showing you all of the sex acts. Um, it's incredibly graphic. This particular book, again, it it, it really looks like porn mm. because it is. It is for kids. For children, um, the justifications, they're not valid, but the justifications that are being used is that many of these pornographic books are memoirs of the authors. And so we want to share people's lives mm. and traumas and, you know, all this now, stuff. I, I can actually feel the anger of some of these moms as they're listening oh, yeah. right and now. You, and you, know, you know what their first question is going to be is how can our voice be louder than those that our children are listening to? Um, you know, it's going to take not only a loud voice, but some very courageous action. Um, and some parents may not like what I'm going to say about that. So number one, yes, absolutely. Submit grievances at the school. Uh, it's, you have to uh, expose it. If you keep it behind closed doors in meetings with the superintendent, the truth is it, it's, it's possibly that it's, unless you have a very conservative superintendent, nothing's going to change. <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they would love to keep everything quiet and not public. So I think a big part of what's working right now is that we're making it, many parents are making this public. Um, but I also have to step back as a mom at, uh, myself. Now, my, my son is already, you know, 22 out of the house. But I tell you what. If I know that my son is in an environment where he is being harmed on a daily basis, I'm pulling my son out of that environment. So if I know that my son 
is an environment where he is being shown and taught pornography and being told to consider himself a victim because I'm Hispanic. My son is, is biracial, etc. All of the things that we're hearing about. I consider that an abusive, unhealthy environment. I need to remove them. And the truth is, Shug, until the schools feel, and, and I, I don't mean this in an in a unethical way, until they feel some kind of a consequence or pain, the loss of money, the loss of a teacher certification, uh, the loss of funding, they're not going to change. Right now, the reason those board members will listen to it and then move on is because there's no consequence against them. They don't have to do anything. But if they start losing students, um, if there's lawsuits that are being brought up to them, if teachers are losing their certifications, all of a sudden, I think things are going to change. So it does take a lot of courageous action. I know some of your parents are thinking, oh my gosh, I don't have the money to go to private school. Oh my gosh, I don't have the ability to do this and to do that. And I get that. I was a single mom for nine years. I've even thought if I were a single mom right now, what would I do? You know, I remember when I was a single mom, my mom asked, hey, come live with me. And it was the last thing I wanted to do because I wanted to live independently. I'll tell you what, I would have, if, if my son was in public school right now, I would do that. I would, I would need to do that because he is more important. And parents, in reclaiming parenthood, our priority is to care for those children. Um, I'm also working with churches on talking about um, our churches are empty for most of the week. How about having co-ops? How about opening up those churches so that we can come together and educate children in a safe environment and help some of those single parents who might who are dependent on having to work outside the home uh, or even two parent families who may feel dependent on both of them working? There are different things that we can do as Christians to help one another. That is our calling. We are expected to be there for the widow and the orphan. You know, we're, we're expected to be there for one another. And this is one of those times because these public schools are definitely pushing an agenda that is anti-Christ and they are changing the attitudes and beliefs of our children away from our Christian values. You know, and amen to that. And friends, if, you know, if you haven't been doing this up to this point, it's not too late to start. Um, you know, we need to jump in together. We need to be unified. We need to come together as parents and say, this is enough. I mean, I, I, things have gotten so crazy. I mean, 10 years ago, we would have never thought that this was even a conversation. Um, and I think it's important to have awareness, to have an open heart, but not where you're telling the kids at such an early ripe age, as well as those books that look like cartoons, but they're really uh, porn. Uh, this is wrong. And, and we as Christians, where are we moms? We need to stand up and say something. Get unified with other like-minded people and see what you can do to make a change for sure. Um, you had shared um, that parents are at the forefront of current battles within schools, legislatures who are forcing inappropriate and harmful curriculums on kids. What can we do in the legislature to make an impact? One of the, there's many things that we can do. And I like what you just said, Shug, is that when you start battling this in your school, mom and dad, um, you can't do this alone. You have got to come together with some like-minded people, other Christians as well, because this is a spiritual battle. It is, you will be attacked and you need to prepare yourselves for that. And the first thing I tell parents is protect your marriage and protect your children. Even in this fight, do not neglect your marriage 
or your children because the enemy will attack your family yeah. for doing Excellent this. advice. So always come together. Um, I, I reach out to churches and pastors as often as possible. I don't always get a good response, uh, but sometimes I do, you know, and so we, we need the backing of the church and we need a group of people, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the family of Christ to come together to, to fight together in this. Yes. Um, in legislation, though, we have obscenity laws. You know, we, we, we have obscenity laws that tell us that we're not allowed to show obscene material to children. Uh, so there's that law. Mm-hmm. Here's the problem. 43 states have an obscenity exemption. And that means that it's not considered obscene once it's in the library or in a school. Mm. We need to repeal the obscenity exemptions in those states. So work actively with your legislators to remove and repeal that exemption and allow the the laws against obscenity to remain. Mm. Um, And that schools and libraries are no longer protected from that. Um, Some people say this is a First Amendment right to have these books. Uh, Absolutely. These are obscene books. So that's not a right. Well, friends, I'm so thankful that you came on. Monica Klein, um, I'm so thankful. It takes a family. You guys, please find her at ittakesafamily.org and monicacline.com. You know I love you. This is Sugbury, over and out. Hey, ladies. This is Sugbury, and I'm the host of Him for Her Radio, Women's Hot Topics. I am so glad that you have found our show amongst the millions of podcasts that are out there. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, would you please do me a favor? Like it, rate it, thumbs up. We're on YouTube as well, so don't forget to find us there. You can watch our guests also. Please subscribe so you don't miss a show. We also have started Him for Her Crazy Testimonies. And each of our guests that we have on the show shares their personal testimony, how they receive Christ in their life. This is Sugbury. You know I love you. Over and out.